In Luke chapter 10, Jesus has a conversation with an expert in the law, comes to Jesus and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question is flawed, but Jesus goes along with it, asks him two questions of his own, says, what is written in the law and how do you read it? Those are two different questions. They're not the same question asked differently. One has to do with his familiarity, what is written in the law. The other has to do with his posture. How do you read it? Now, there are many who know neither what is written nor how to read it. They're busy, they're overwhelmed, intimidated, distracted, and so they don't have time to read it, so they couldn't possibly know how. But there are a good many others, some here, who do know what is written, but they don't know how to read it. They're preachers, scholars, teachers, they would win a game at Bible trivia. They know all of the pieces. They drop verses. They proof text. There are others in the congregation who think they know how to read it, but they don't know what is written. They're prejudiced. They're enthusiasts. The only parts they know are the parts that validate what they already believe, but they don't know the whole of Scripture. They conveniently forget parts that contradict their deep assumptions. Rarely will you find someone who both knows what is written and they know how to read it. When Jesus asked the man the question, his answer was, well, it is to love the Lord your God with all your soul and strength and mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. This is a pretty impressive response because remember he was an expert in the law. He was at least as intelligent as the most intelligent person in this room. So what he needed to do was to go back to his memory of the Old Testament, particularly the law. And he had to in the midst of all of that knowledge, identify the nexus or the center of everything that he knew and say it in concise language. It's a sign of intelligence. He said, the center of everything I know is this. You love God and you love others. He drew this from Leviticus chapter 19, straight from the law. But when he answered Jesus, he proved that while he knew what was written, 
he didn't know how to read it. Because in the same chapter that tells him to love his neighbor as himself, which he presumed meant the poor, the handicapped, and the elderly from his own tribe, in the same chapter, he was to love the foreigner, the alien, the enemy, the bitter rival, the victim of injustice. Now, he didn't leave this out intentionally, but he lived so long under a bias that he literally couldn't see the rest of it. Are you tracking so far? So he knew what was written, but he didn't know how to read it. This explains why most of Jesus' arguments in the Bible were with people who knew what was written. He didn't have many arguments with people who were illiterate in Scripture. He had them all the time with people who were very conversant in Scripture, but they argued over how you read it. So he argued with Pharisees over the meaning of the Sabbath, over marriage and divorce, over the meaning of the kingdom of God, over the meaning of clean and unclean, and even over life after death. In fact, in one moment, he said to the Pharisees or the Sadducees, you err because you do not know the scriptures. Truth of the matter is, they did know the scriptures better than you do, but they didn't know how to read it. Now this reveals two important things to me. One is that knowing what is in the Bible and knowing how to read the Bible are two different things. If you know the Bible, but you don't know how to read it, you're dangerous. The second thing it reveals is that the cure to this problem is probably not more education. I don't want to dismiss education. I myself have benefited from brilliant men and women that have surrounded me throughout my life. I just want to remind you that the one talking to Jesus was an expert in the law. He was not a mental midget. He's had our classes on exegesis. He's had all of the theology you could offer him. That's what experts in the law were in Jesus' day. They were curators of the text. They would pour over the text. So the answer is probably not immersing him into more classes to get him familiar with the text. He knows the text. You got to change his slant. You have to change his biases. You have to change the way he sees all of it, not just individual passages. Are you tracking so far? 
if the scholar were to read the text well, can I tell you a few things he would have to do? And this leads us right into Ezekiel's vision. One is he would have to remember that when we read the scripture, we are not looking for a word from God. We are looking for God himself. And there's a difference. The purpose of language, linguists tell us, is not transactional. The purpose is not primarily to transfer information. The purpose of language is to build relationships. So God does not give messages to people who come looking for a message. He mentions things in conversation with people who come looking for God. You there? I've mentioned this before. Imagine the bee that lands on the flower, attracted to the flower for the beauty of the flower. While he is walking on the flower, the flower is attaching its pollen to his feet. He does not come to the flower for the pollen. He comes for the flower. The pollen is what happens to him while he's attracted to the flower. When he flies away, he carries that pollen on his feet and transplants it to another place. Think of words from God as pollen. Some things that stick to you while you were attracted to God for the sake of God. Second, the scholar will have to put himself under the text instead of over it. He must never speak of himself as knowing what the Bible says, as if he's mastered it. He must always speak of himself as subject to the speaking voice that comes out through the Bible because he knows that no amount of formal education can speak that voice. And he also knows that this word is not just a document. It's a lion. It's a lion. Even when you tame it with your knowledge, it has a mind of its own. It can go places and you can't stop it. And third, he will have to learn to read it spiritually with his heart and not just with his head. He will have to approach it humbly and attentively and with anticipation and enthusiasm for what God is about to say. Now, 
This leads us into the passage in Ezekiel. The prophet is called with a message peculiar to the prophet. And what we learn from this vision where Ezekiel is told to eat the scroll is that the word of God is not simply to be studied, it is to be imbibed. When we study the Bible, when we know the Bible and become familiar with the Bible, we can reach it at any point in our lives and draw from different parts of the Bible, from Leviticus or Lamentations. You're like, who reads that stuff? And we can pull it into the situation that we're in in order to interpret what is happening to us. So we have to become more familiar with the Bible. In our, in our church once, we had, uh, we had a woman that sat in a rocking chair in the atrium, or the foyer, it was called at that point. And children would run up and they would cite a verse. And when they cited a verse, they get a piece of candy. And you know what they were doing. They were coming to church totally forgetful. And they would, oh man, if you want candy, you better say a verse. So they would find the easiest verse. And once you've used Jesus wept, you're out of easy ones. And they would try to pack that into their head and you would see them standing in a line in front of the rocking chair and they would start to fumble and get nervous and finally they would get the verse out and then they would get the candy. And I, I used to watch some people in the church who uh, didn't know any scripture at all who were critical of this. Oh, that's, that's the wrong motive. Well, I mean, yeah, but I like their problem better than yours. <laughs> when we were younger, Lori and I, in order to get familiar with the text, riding in the car, sitting at home, played a game. I got it from a professor of mine here at IWU. He... Uh, um, he said that his wife could read anywhere in the Bible and he could find the chapter in his memory. So we worked on that. Didn't go well for a long time. So I said, you need to stay in the New Testament, honey. No, make that, you need to stay in the Gospels. No, wait, honey, it needs to be in the Gospel of Matthew. No, wait, it needs to be Matthew 16. <laughs> then I can get you within the chapter. But after a while, the more I would read and commit to memory, and I would watch it like it was a movie, I got a little more fluent in it. She could read from parts of the New Testament that weren't in Matthew. They even weren't in the Gospels. Sometimes they were in Philemon. Yes, Philemon really is a book. And as she would read it, I was able to identify it. And then I started saying, okay, honey, now we're gonna go for broke, baby. Let's try the Old Testament. Whatever the method that you use, 
It is important to become fluent and conversant in the text so you can reach it when you need to reach it. If you have to have the lights on in order to read the text to yourself, you are not yet conversant. You need to be able to do it in the dark room and be able to cite larger portions. Well, I don't really memorize well. No, the question isn't whether you have a good memory. The question is how you memorize anything. And you clearly know, because I talk to you, you'll cite lyrics of songs by whoever at length and lines from movies I've never seen. So clearly you know how to remember stuff. It's just a matter of saying, how do I memorize anything? And then applying those principles to the memory of scripture. There is not one way. There's your way. So find what it is and start to immerse the mind in scripture. But what the text today tells us is that it is one thing to study and know it and it is something else to eat it. When you eat it, it becomes part of you. It is the food that gives you energy to do anything. Uh, we have our grandson this uh, weekend. He's two. Or I should say two. <laughs> uh, and we found out that he loves apples. We take him to the store and he is bouncing in the aisle. Apples, 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 apples. We come home with the bag of apples and he is literally jumping up and down across the room. Apples, apples. It's better than Milky Way. <laughs> now there's two things we can do with an apple. We can study it. Or we can eat it. If you study it, you'll know all kinds of things about it. You'll know that it has pectin, that pectin will strengthen the digestive tract, that pectin is a form of fiber, I think, that if you eat enough of these things, you really will keep the doctor away. And you can learn things about apples that will blow somebody's mind. They can give you a doctorate in Old Testament apples <laughs> so that when you get in the room and other people want to talk about apples, they'll be intimidated to talk about them because they know how much you know about apples.
or you can just eat it. Don't get lost in the point. I'm not asking you how much you know about scripture. I'm asking you whether you eat it. And whether you love it. Taste, they say, is an acquired thing. In order to read it, and taste it. We will have to engage. Here, you want a bite of that? <laughs> we, it's taken a long time to get this stuff down. I ain't doing this second service, man. <laughs> By the way, my mom always said, don't talk with food in your mouth. Ezekiel said that too, by the way. He said, eat the scroll, then talk to the people. <laughs> if you eat it the way that scripture is talking about, you'll practice what is known as Lectio Divina, divine reading. I've heard everywhere from three steps to seven steps. Today I'm going to make it three so you can remember it. And I'm going to attach those three steps to the process of eating. The first step in eating scripture is to open your mouth and take a bite. The text today says, so I opened my mouth and then he handed me the scroll. He didn't hand me the scroll, and then I opened my mouth. My mouth was open. I was ready when he handed me the scroll. So the first step is to put ourselves in a posture of receiving what God is about to do. In my own life, again, I have no others to draw from. In my own life, the pattern has been something like this. I will carry in my pocket a small New Testament or Old Testament. It's pocket size, so I can pull it out if I have to cheat and look at it and put it back in. I'll find one version that I like that will last a few months. I'll switch to a different version, whether it's New Revised Standards, whether it's New International, whether it's the New Living, pick a version. Sometimes it's the message. Sometimes it's the Amplified, though that's kind of wordy. And you know how I hate wordy. <laughs> I will find a room somewhere in the house or in the church where I know I will not be interrupted by noise. I will find a seat in that room and I will go through a series of exercises, much like the ones we've already used. Sometimes it's a centering prayer. Well, I will use a word, a single word that I draw from that day. The word might be courage. It might be joy. It might be rest. It might be perseverance. But I find a single word and I start running my life through that word while I meditate. At other times, I will breathe the prayer. 
If the times are kind of stressful, I will find a passage that my soul needs to hear. Inhale, the Lord is my shepherd. Hold it. I have everything I need. Exhale. He causes me to lie down. You hearing it? Sometimes I will use objects, crosses, candles, photos. If that bothers you, if you think that's a form of iconography, then don't do it. You don't have to do it. Just don't judge another man's servant. Let him do what he wants to do. Find a way that helps you focus. Sometimes I will sing. I don't do that here because the church is large and I never know who's in it. But I would walk around the sanctuary and sing hymns, not choruses with one line 10 times, but hymns, old ones. My soul has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one whose wounds for me shall plead. Oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Now I am ready to read the word. When I read the word, I listen to it. I let its words wash over me. I don't analyze it. If I'm still analyzing it, if I'm still using my theology, I'm not done meditating. The word does not need a surgeon. It needs an audience. And that audience is me. And I am not a preacher or a daddy. I'm a disciple. He is speaking to me. I let the words wash over me. I try to identify phrases that stand out in my mind. And as I find a phrase that stands out in my mind, I will circle it. I'll underline it. Sometimes I'll repeat it again and again and again to get it into my mind. When I repeat it again and again, I am asking myself, why is God lifting this word or phrase from the Bible in order to say it to me? What is it he is trying to give me? What about this word causes the life of God in my life to overlap? Why am I such a perfect audience for this? What, what sin does he want me to put down? What promise does he want me to believe? What is he trying to do in me? Now I'm digesting. That's the second stage. I'm chewing it. I'm savoring it. I can taste it. 
I've got a single phrase. I don't have nine verses. I have a single phrase and I've got it in my mind and now I swallow it. In the third phase, I respond. There are typically two ways to do that. One is through prayer. Sometimes I will come out of that and I will pray words back to God with my life interspersed in it. I will use his language to express the desires of my heart. Or the other way is to obey it. I will ask myself, now that you know what God is trying to say, what keeps me from doing it? Why is that so hard? Is it my personality? Is it my experience? Is it the company that I keep? Is it my culture that I live in? <laughs> Why is this so hard for me? Is it fear, intimidation? Is it trust? What am I lacking that makes this so hard? And if I were to do this, what would be the very first step? <laughs> 